0: Welcome to Pound the Rock, the Scores NBA podcast. My name is Joseph Cacharo, and I'm joined, as always, by fellow co-host, Joe Wolfon. Hi-dee-ho. <laughs> hi ho We are pretty much done free agency, I'd say. There are still some guys, we were just talking off air, for example, about Larry Markkinen, but there, there are still some guys, whether RFA or UFAs, that will uh, see their free agency sagas come to a conclusion as the summer wears on, but for most intents and purposes, <laughs> we're done with free agency we can kind of see uh, how the dust has settled on the league there might still be a blockbuster trade out there but free agency I think has mostly run its course and last week we talked about the most interesting teams of the offseason which were mostly the teams that made the biggest moves and splashes so this week we thought why not talk about some of the more under the radar moves that not as many people are talking about so uh, with that intro out of the way, unless Wolfon has anything uh, from his personal life he'd like to share this week, I think we can. I think we can talk some ball.
1: Yeah, I mean, I feel like people generally know where I'm at. Uh, it's been a grind for the last few weeks. Just doing my best to kind of keep my head above water over here.
0: Well, it's good to see your head above water, friend.
1: The you don't you don't see the legs churning under the surface, but they're doing. lot of egg beaters under there.
0: All right, well let's move on and talk ball. (laughs) And enough about uh egg beaters under the water. Full fun. Hit me with your most under the radar move of the off season. Or the one you would at least like to speak about the most.
1: I'm not gonna focus on one individual move. I just really like what the Nets have done in the margins without a ton of flexibility. I mean obviously like the big like they signed Kevin Durant to a mammoth extension, which is like the big splash that they made. And obviously mm-hmm. outstanding news for that franchise, locking up, you know, maybe the best player in the league for another four years on top
0: of... When was this deal like initially? Uh, I think I, did, him did I have, had two years left on it? Or I think him and Kyrie both could opt out in after. 2022, like after this coming season, had okay. he not reached that extension. And now there's, you know, already the re- reports that... Kyrie and Harden are closing in on extensions as well.
1: Right. So obviously, like, the big stuff has gone right for Brooklyn. Uh, If they can lock all three of those guys up, you know, through the remainder of their primes, basically, then they're going to be in really good shape, basically, no matter what they do in the margins. But I did want to kind of highlight some of the moves that they made that that are sort of just going to help bolster that three-man core. And, you know, the big one to me is I get Patty Mills uh, on the taxpayer mid-level exception. He does get a player option on year two, which I'm guessing he's going to exercise. But even so, uh, to just have him at that price point a year, I think around $6 million basically uh, for the coming season, he's such a good fit there. Excellent shooter, moves incredibly well without the ball, but can also handle the basketball in a pinch if you need him to run your second unit offense, which... The Nets won't basically unless one of their big three is injured, which I think is a contingency that they need to plan for, given what happened this past season. He can do that. The Spurs have just like consistently had a dominant bench and there's been a ton of personnel turnover over the past decade with that bench unit. And like the one constant has been Patty Mills and the Spurs have outscored opponents by at least 1.5 points per hundred possessions with him on the floor in each of the last 10 years. So like he's been the common denominator with that bench that's been con- consistently excellent. Shot 41% on catch and shoot threes last year. Is basically like a souped up version of Landry Shammit Like a better shooter, a better ball handler, a better pull-up shooter, a better off-ball mover. And so kind of in conjunction with that move, they offload Shamit. They traded him to the Suns for Javon Carter, who is a much different kind of player, but one I think the Nets could really use. Like, he's going to be a situational player for them. But if they need to just bring in like an energizer to absolutely hound the opposing team's point guard and like chase him for 94 feet, essentially, then they can plug Carter in and he's going to give them, you know, 15, 20 solid energy minutes off of the bench where he's going to make life hell for an opposing backcourt like that dude can really defend on the ball and he, he has major offensive limitations but he also shot i think 40 percent from three last year obviously exclusively as like a stationary shooter but
0: which is what he, he would be in brooklyn anyway
1: yeah and like if he can do that uh it doesn't even need to be 40 percent. i mean if he should if, he, if he's shooting like 37 percent on catch and shoot threes and giving them that kind of point of attack defense um i think he could be really helpful for them and and like I don't mind Shamit as a player, but I just think he's kind of superfluous in Brooklyn. And so to essentially replace him with Mills, then offload him for Carter and the number 29 pick, which they use to draft Dayron Sharp, you know, this big man in the kind of rim running, rim protecting mold. Uh, I can't say I know uh, like a ton about him as a prospect, but the Nets need bigs. And they also need to fill roster spots on the cheap. And Shamit is a year away from restricted free agency. So I just thought like in conjunction those moves added up to some very nice business for Brooklyn. Sharp,
0: um, Sharp actually played on that um, historic Montverde uh, High School team with Scotty right, right. Barnes, Moses Moody, and uh, who am I missing? Oh, and Kate, and Kate C- Cunningham. All four, all four of them ended up first-round picks in the same draft, and they were all on the same prep high school team, which explains why they went. I can't remember if it was twenty five and zero or thirty five and zero with an average point differential of plus
1: thirty nine. <laughs> that's yeah. all
0: I know about Daron Sharp.
1: Well, there you go. I mean, he had like a kind of so-so freshman season in which he like I think he shot fifty percent from the free throw line. Like, that's fine again for a team like Brooklyn, right? Like, they they don't necessarily need skilled bigs who are creating their own offense. Like, they need rim runners who can defend, and maybe he'll grow into that type of player. I don't know what he's going to give them off of the jump, but. Again, it's like looking forward when basically their entire cap is going to be tied up in three guys. You just need to sort of find moves along the margins that can help you out. And I think if they decided Shamit wasn't the kind of guy that they were going to be willing to pay in restricted free agency, then this was a really nice move. I think to to get something of value for him while they still could. So they essentially replace him with Mills. They get Sharp. They get Carter. Uh, They bring back Blake Griffin for the minimum, which look for Blake Griffin, like he's made enough money in his career. Obviously he's still getting paid from the Pistons for that gigantic buyout that they agreed to. So this isn't a situation where I'm like, you know, Blake Griffin really sold himself short here. Like I'm sure he could have gone somewhere and signed for like the taxpayer MLE or maybe even like a a significant portion of the full MLE because he was really good for Brooklyn last year. But obviously he valued that situation. Uh, and they valued bringing him back and, and they should like, he was uh, such a snug fit there after coming over and like really showed, I think uh, an understanding of his role there as a guy who was just going to sort of capitalize on the gravity of those other stars, hit pick and pop threes, make plays on the short roll. Like I thought his cutting was actually really excellent there. And I thought he played some of his best defense in years. So you know, for them, they get a a little bit of that lineup flexibility where they can downsize with Griffin at the five. Obviously, you know, it's kind of semantics getting into who's actually playing the five in those lineups, like Kevin Durant's going to be the tallest player on the floor. But if like it's KD and Blake Griffin in the front court, like Blake Griffin's going to be guarding the opposing team's center. And I think that's really important as far as sparing, you know, the toll on KD's body. And I think Blake proved like he's not a rim protector but he proved pretty capable of defending at the five, I yeah. think in, in the minutes that he did so last year. So to bring him back on the minimum is a big win for the nets. And then I, I can't call this like a move that I like from the team side. Cause it wasn't their decision, but I do think it's a win for them that they get Bruce Brown back on the qualifying offer, which I think for him was like a, a shade under $5 million. And given the production that he provided for them last year, like, that is team friendly, and I'm I'm hopeful you know that it works out for Bruce Brown as well, where he'll get a chance to be an unrestricted free agent next summer, uh, and so that you know if he performs basically this year the way that he did last year, I think that could work out really well for him also. And I he's just such an interesting knuckleball. I feel like that that team can throw out where. You have him as a cutter, you have him as a short roller. And I think that was like the big revelation last year was like, we can almost use Bruce Brown, the six, four guy as like our center on offense, where he's the primary screen setter. And as a role man, like he can pass, he can hit floaters and, and defensively, you know, he can guard probably three positions very competently. So as far as like their lineup flexibility, the shooting that they added in Patty Mills, I think... This is like a rich get richer kind of off season where we're just like everything pretty much went Brooklyn's way. And I think they go into next season as like overwhelming championship favorites, obviously because of their top three, but also because of the way that they've shaped the roster around those guys.
0: Yeah, as you know, that's something I was big on all year and was kind of stressing all year that not enough people were giving credit. Like, obviously, yes, the, you know, the top-end talent, especially once they traded for Harden, was overwhelming and was the reason they were, like, the best team on the court when healthy every game. But I, I just felt throughout the year, not enough people were lauding and, like, realizing the, the fact that what they had done all, around the margins and along the margins is why they, you know, were able to put the record that they were putting up when those guys were hurt. You know, they they were... They had winning records, I believe, when at least one of each of the three stars was out. Like, they they maintained pretty well, considering they were seen rightfully so as a very top heavy team. And it's because of the work that Sean Marks and, and his front office did uh, along the margins, whether it was Nick Claxton or, yeah, turning Bruce Brown and, and having him excel, like, as kind of like, yeah, this small ball center offensively, a versatile defender, a great cutter and off. But, like, Jeff Green, who I'm actually going to mention in this episode, um, he's now with the Nuggets. He, I thought, really found a groove with the Nets last year, um, serving as a small ball center in a way who was, you know, shooting 40% on the other end. Blake Griffin, we talked about, you know, adding, and and now all that, and okay, you lose Green, but now you add Patty Mills, you add Javon Carter. Like, I think it's going to just be exactly the same where it's like when they're healthy, they're just overwhelmingly better than you and more talented than you but even with a guy or two out there's still going to be a really really solid and deeper than you realize team who can beat you actually in a variety of ways and so yeah i i love what uh what they've done this offseason and i think like you said barring another injury riddled season <laughs> this this team should win the nba championship all right. I mean, I brought him up. He wasn't going to be the first guy on my list, but I figure it's a, it's a good segue anyway since we did bring him up. Um, I was really interested with the Jeff Green signing with the Nuggets. I mean, it, I don't think Millsap's landed anywhere yet. No. But signing Jeff Green, I think, likely means the end of Millsap's time in Denver. Um, but they're getting Green... Uh, Green signed for 2 years 10 million so essentially 5 million a year. They're getting Green at half of Millsap's 2020 2021 salary and I think that's great value for them even though Green might not be like traditionally the defender uh, or you know have the defensive value Millsap has. He might not be able to replicate what he did in an absolutely ideal role obviously with the star studded nets but I do think he's like he's evolved into this Kind of like versatile role player forward who can anchor small ball lineups on the defensive end in a pinch, and he shot better than forty one percent from deep on nearly four three point attempts per game last season and I know that again you know the caveat is that was on the nets and there were a lot more open shots to be found in Brooklyn and you know just less expected in general but I think he'll get some good looks playing with. Nikola Jokic, if they, when they play together, I know he'll, like I said, he'll probably anchor some small ball units off the bench and whatever, but when they play together and just in that system, I think he'll get plenty of looks in Denver anyway. And unless last season was just an absolute fluke, which, you know, it's similar to who we were talking about earlier, Carter, where it's like, okay, Jeff Green doesn't have to shoot 41% from deep on four attempts per game next year. If it's like 37, 38, which is a bit of a regression, that's still pretty good, especially if he's able to provide anywhere near the defensive value he did in Brooklyn last season. So I think for $5 million a year, if the Nuggets had kind of come to the conclusion that maybe it was time to part from Millsap, I think getting Jeff Green at half the salary Millsap was on is actually a pretty good under-the-radar value deal for a team that, if Murray comes back in time, could still contend next season. Yeah, I think what'll be interesting...
1: Green's sort of renaissance as a role player I feel like came about in large part by him playing small ball 5 and being used as a role man in the pick and roll a lot uh and obviously like he he's popping a lot but he's also like he's still quite athletic you know especially for his age like he surprisingly still has a lot of bounce and when he's rolling hard to the rim like he can be super effective as a dive man as well and I think the the big change for him I, I agree I, I really like this move for Denver but the big change for him with with Jamal Murray out there's not a ton of guard play in Denver and you know what where he was feasting the last couple of years like not just in Brooklyn but his stint with Houston uh, toward the end of the season a couple of years ago was similarly excellent and you know in those situations he is playing one end of the pick and roll with guys like Harden, Kyrie and KD at the other end are we going to see him playing pick and roll with nikola jokic <laughs> like it's we've seen it before like they they ran a, a decent amount of like 54 pick and roll with jokic and aaron gordon last year maybe they do the same thing with jeff green i'm interested to see if they if they kind of explore that or if he's just more going to be like a spot up guy who's spacing the floor for them but i do think it'll be interesting to see if he can kind of sustain that newfound efficiency w- without kind of these defense bending guards on the other end of some of those pick and rolls um obviously people are kind of clowning dennis Schroeder for turning down what i think was reported to be a four-year 80 million dollar extension from the lakers and winding up signing for one year at six million again i think that's the taxpayer mle from boston's end yeah
0: i think it's just under six i believe
1: yeah so that hurts for him obviously you know, if you're in Schroeder's camp or if you just care about Dennis Schroeder as a person, you hope that he can kind of rehab his value this season and recoup a lot of the money that he lost by turning that extension down. He had a pretty good season for the most part last year and then just cost himself a ton of money with an absolutely awful postseason showing. And I think this is a good move for Boston. Like there's... Very little downside risk here. Uh, I, I do think Schroeder is like a pretty good player. I think his market collapsed in large part because there were just a lot of other point guards on the market. And so if he re-enters the market after a strong season next year, like that could really work in his favor because I don't think the point guard market next year is going to be as strong. And I think with Boston, like he could start alongside Marcus Smart if the Celtics want their primary lineups to be a bit smaller, you know, with one of Tatum or Brown at the four or shooter could come off the bench, which has typically, I think, been the best role for him, and which was a big area of weakness for Boston last year. Like, their bench was not very good, but either way, they get a guy who, uh, you know, despite his limitations as a shooter, can really create advantages with his speed. And I've mentioned before how, like, you know, defenses that duck under screens against him, he can still beat that under coverage because of that quick first step that he has. And... He can consistently get to the rim, which is something, again, this Celtics team really, really needs. Um, And I think, you know, they also need to shift some of the burden of creation off of Tatum and Brown's shoulders. Because while those guys are obviously incredible, and Tatum especially, you know, has made tremendous strides as a playmaker... I just feel like they were overextended as primary initiators last year. And that's why the Celtics offense like continually ground down and devolved into isolation play. Uh, And I think they just need, you know, those wings need to have a healthier balance of on and off ball possessions. And I think there's a decent chance Schroeder can take on some of those on ball possessions and make better use of them than, you know, than last year's version of Kemba did. And obviously that's what, you know, the Celtics are are hoping that he's going to be able to do. So I think, again, like at this price, it's such a low risk flyer. I see basically no downside for Boston. And and hopefully for Schroeder's sake, uh, it works out well for him too. Um, and he can rebuild his value and, and reenter the market next summer when maybe there won't be as many point guards available.
0: Yeah. I mean, I always think it's interesting when people get so, you know, everyone got so used to, well, not everyone, a lot of people got so used to like clowning him for, costing himself money and betting on himself and, and essentially failing, especially when the deal gets announced, you know, and, and people realize how much money he essentially costs himself. But when that's kind of all you're doing, it's almost like people forget that the guy is still a, you know, has his value in the NBA. You know what I mean? Like he's not just a clown right now. He's not, he's not just a jester out here to entertain. Like he actually has some NBA skills and ones that while maybe $80 million was a stretch, ones that like probably would have and should have resulted in a much bigger payday had he not torpedoed his own value in like down the stretch of the season and in the playoffs. So yeah, I think at the end of the day, no matter how much you might find it funny or sad or whatever you think about the Dennis Schroeder contract saga, the fact of the matter is, I'd say he's still a good NBA player who a solid to good team just added on a very basement bargain price. And so yeah like i i don't know if people really are kind of like grasping that in their rush to just laugh at the fact that this guy cost himself a lot of money
1: well and it's also like everybody wants to laud the guys who bet on themselves and and like the the kind of guts and the self belief that that takes but it is a bet at the end of the day right and it's not a sure thing and sometimes that bet doesn't pan out and again there's you know i think there's still a chance that it will in the big picture. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it feels, I guess, now pretty unlikely that Schroeder's going to sign anything close to like a four-year, $80 million deal next offseason. But, you know, two seasons ago, he was runner-up for Sixth man of the year. And I thought 100% deserved to win that award over Montrezl Harrell that year. Like, he was legitimately the best backup guard in the NBA that season. So we're not far removed from that. And we're not that far removed from him, frankly, being... Like a big plus with the Lakers when AD and LeBron were healthy. Like lineups with those three guys on the floor together were like plus 14 points per 100 possessions. And I thought like he made great strides defensively. Again, like the shooting a couple of years ago with OKC proved to be a bit of a mirage. Like his shooting regressed to his career norms last year. But he is like a solid creator who can break down a defense at the point of attack, can get into the paint. And I really do think that that's something that Boston needs.
0: A question for you. What do you think Dennis Schroeder would have got? Had he just say, continued to play at the level he was playing at, um, at his best this past season. I'm not sure if it would have been 480. Like I I was thinking like 350 Mm -hmm. or something like that. But what do you think? Like how high you think that number? Yeah, no,
1: that seems reasonable. Again, I think it's, it's just hard to say because of the the way that the point guard market shook out. It just seems like yeah. not that many teams wound up needing one. Like, I, I mean, I guess I look at a team like Dallas and think, you know, they could really use a player like Dennis Schroeder. Obviously, you know, the Pelicans really needed a point guard. They had their sights set on Chris Paul, Kyle Lowry. They settled for Devontae Graham. He got four years, 47. Like that's maybe in line with what they might have been willing to give Schroeder. I don't know. I'm I'm trying to think of like other teams that could that could use point guards like the Raptors. Um yeah, like I I definitely think I guess 4 years 80 still does feel like maybe the high end of of what he might have gotten, but it it certainly wasn't going to be out of the realm of possibility that he would have gotten a, a long-term deal at like more than mid-level type of money. So,
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think I think he would have got three to four years and maybe somewhere between like fifty to sixty mil, mm-hmm. and I think that would have been the high end. And that's why, like, I keep coming back to the fact, like, whether him, whether his agent steered him wrong, whatever the case may be. Yeah, again, I I don't want to rip on a guy for betting on himself, but there's also, I don't know, like you you, you know, you pay representatives to have foresight and right, to yeah. represent your best interest, and I, I do think even like when we look back on what he was then and what his the high, high end of his potential next contract could have been. I still, it just boggles my mind that 480 reportedly, you know, was available to him. And he said, no, I think I can get more. Like that that's, to me, there's a difference between like betting on yourself and lack of self-awareness.
1: Well, yeah. And I think it's actually more just like a lack of awareness of the market, right? Right. Because if if you were making that bet, I'm just trying to think of what factors you'd be considering and looking ahead to the offseason, you got to be thinking about, okay, how many teams realistically have cap space? how many of those teams are going to need a point guard? And then, you know, how many of those point guards that are gonna be available are gonna be ahead of me in the pecking order? And you sort of do the math and crunch the numbers, and I think you probably would've come out with a number that was lower than 480 and you would've jumped at the chance to take that deal, but maybe I'm speaking from a place of hindsight uh, rather than real insight here. It just seems like, given those market factors, He probably should have taken that deal. Um, But again, I I think he should hire
0: Wolf on um, sports representation as his next uh, his next agency. (laughs) Consider this a pitch, Dennis, if you're
1: listening. Uh, But no, I I hope this works out for him. I do think it'll work out pretty well for Boston. Um, And I I just think he's the type of player they needed Uh, and they get him for cheap. So that's just like an undeniable win, I think, for the Celtics. All right. Where are you going next?
0: Uh, you mentioned Dallas. They did not land a point guard. They did not land um, the big fish. Many, including probably Luka Doncic, were hoping they would land. But I do think they had one of the under radar moves of the offseason. And that was landing Reggie Bullock on a three-year, $30.5 million deal. Now, I realize that Reggie Bullock at 10 million per year doesn't exactly sound like you know the same kind of value deals we've been discussing so far but I think Reggie Bullock's a pretty underrated player. And I thought he had a very, very underrated season in New York. He He's an improved perimeter and wing defender. Like he's an improved def- uh, defender across the board. He shot 41% from deep last season. He had started to show like a lot more off the dribble pop. There's a guy who can create offense, both off the dribble and off the catch. In terms of off the catch, he actually had some pretty elite numbers last season. And so look, is, you know, there's, 10 double digit million per year. Sound like a lot for a guy that you'd probably see as like a role player. Yeah. But in the modern market with this salary cap, it's actually not if the guy provides, you know, good value for you. And I think at just over $10 million a year, when the salary cap is, you know, close to $110 million a year, I actually think Bullock, if he was, if he is close to what he was last season, does check a lot of boxes for Dallas at a reasonable price. And I think when you're a team like that, that's kind of on the rise. Yes, you, you're, you're, their next move is landing, you know, a big fish to put beside Luka Doncic, no doubt. But I do think if you're not going to spend your money doing that, then I think these kind of reasonably priced deals for guys who actually do check a lot of boxes for them beside Luka, whether it's, you know, a little more off the drill creation, another shooter beside him, um, a solid defender beside him, which Dallas lacks. Like a guy that can check all those boxes around $10 million a year, on a deal that, you know, if anything would probably be movable. Like I think that's the way to go. If you're not getting the big fish, as opposed to trying to pay a guy to be a big fish, that's not really that, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. I think the one thing I'll disagree with is I don't think that he has a whole lot of pop off the dribble. And I sort of feel like from Dallas's perspective, not that that makes the move a whiff, but they do need to add that supplemental creation, like at some right. point in time. I Doncic is amazing. Surrounding him with shooting is in broad strokes like a good strategy. But ultimately, like if they want to make a deep playoff run, they need somebody else who can reliably create efficient offense. And it's like right now is Jalen Brunson and basically nobody else. And and Brunson, I think we kind of saw the limitations. Uh, of having him basically be like your second best creator in the playoffs last year. He didn't have a good series against LA. He's undersized and you know, he's kind of like a middling playmaker. So to, to add another like spot up shooter in Bullock, a really good spot up shooter for the record. And also a good defender, as you mentioned, like that definitely helps. Like, I think he'll be like, they kind of got Josh Richardson last year with the idea that he was going to provide some of that supplemental creation while being a spot up option and also providing um some point of attack defense that they really needed, that didn't work out. They wind up salary dumping him and so Bullock like coming in I think like he'll be a better option as far as like spotting up certainly around luca he's he's not quite the defender that Richardson is, but like he can i think he's maybe like a little bit more versatile in terms of the number of positions that he can credibly guard and you know, it's like Richardson wasn't giving them much as a secondary creator anyway, so I don't think they lose much there in the exchange. Like, they come out, I think, net positive there, basically swapping at Richardson for Bullock. So that gets a thumbs up. But just looking at the roster as a whole and what they need, I still don't think they got the type of player that they actually need to push them over the top. Like, they, they need somebody who can take some of that load off of Luka, who can make sure that like the, you know, the possession isn't essentially going to stall out when the ball is out of Luca's hands. I don't know that Bullock does that for them. And I I just, for that reason, I just still look at this roster and see them as having a bit of a ceiling on them because I don't think as much as I believe in Luca and think like there's a chance he comes out of next season as like the consensus best player in the league. I do think that's on the table. I still don't think asking him to do as much as the Mavs ask him to do and run that heliocentric offense where everybody else was just sort of spotting up around him or, or diving to the rim out of the pick and roll. Like I don't think that's enough.
0: Yeah. I'm sure Jason Kittle figures. <laughs> I can't even say that with a straight face. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I like, look, I,
1: I like the Bullock move. I like him as a player. I do think it'll help, but, if the Mavs are done, I still kind of see this offseason for them as, frankly, something of a failure, you know? And
0: J- Jason Kidd included, by the way. Agreed.
1: Um, I, uh, I really liked the Jazz going and getting Rudy Gay. I think they punted very quickly on the Derek Favors reunion. They had to fork over a first-round pick in order to get off his deal, which is obviously not ideal, but... I do think them recognizing that it wasn't working and making the move to get off of that deal was probably the right approach and kind of in conjunction with signing Rudy Gay, who at this point in his career, he's, he's a full-time small ball, big, you know, he's going to play the four most of the time, but he can slide up to the five in a pinch. And I think that's the type of small ball five option that the jazz needed to be looking for. And I think in conjunction with that, you know, getting Hassan Whiteside on a minimum deal, people might laugh. Like Hassan Whiteside is a popular punching bag, but as a backup center on a minimum, man, I think like Hassan Whiteside is a, a perfectly serviceable backup center who defensively is still like, yeah, he he's mistake prone, he chases blocks, he doesn't always box out, but as far as rim deterrence. He is still one of the best in the game at just like, you know, preventing opponents from taking shots at the rim. Uh, He is an imposing presence there. He does clean the defensive glass to at least an adequate degree. Like if he's your backup, I, I think that's fine. So I think, you know, they, they, they didn't leave themselves with no options, you know, for like big bodies off of the bench. Like they have a backup center, but come playoff time, or if they're playing sort of like the matchup game with a team that wants to downsize, And they decide that what they need is just like a small ball look. Then I think Rudy Gay is the type of player that can give that to them. You know, he, he has lost pretty much all of his explosiveness. He can't do a ton off of the dribble anymore, but he still has a lot of utility as a pick and pop weapon. Um, He can still really shoot the ball. He is perfectly serviceable defensively and he's a smart player who I think will fit in with that system really well. And then actually, you know, like they got Eric Paschal, uh, I think, what did they give up? Just a second round pick to get him? Yeah. That's another like small ball five option for them. Yeah. But, that was actually going to be my next, uh, but no, go yeah, yeah go on. Cause. No, I just think like, I, I think they needed to make their roster a little bit more flexible. And I'm not one of these guys who's of the mind that like Rudy Gobert gets played off the floor in the playoffs. Like I, I still think the reasons that they've lost in the playoffs have been a, a lot deeper than just like, you know,
0: Rudy Gobert can't stay on the floor.
1: Um, I agree with
0: you. I will say in the Clipper series, he basically got played off the floor and Quinn Snyder just didn't take him off the floor. <laughs> well, okay. I mean like I, I I think I agree with you in in the like in general. Like I think in the past when people have said that, it's been bogus. I do think towards the end of that series when the Clippers went super small, Gobert was it looked like finally actually getting played off the floor. Snyder just didn't actually pull them to make it accurate. Yeah, I just... I I don't know that that would have
1: happened against any other team. Fair enough. Like, the Clippers were very well-equipped to play small. They are an incredible jump-shooting team. The Jazz defense at the point of attack sucked, and that (laughs) left Gobert exposed on the back end time and time again. And yeah, obviously, he was getting stretched out, and he's having to make these long closeouts to the corner to, like, you know, Nick Batum uh, or Terrence Mann, and it looked bad, I just think like th- there were much deeper problems there for that jazz team, but I agree. Like it's definitely helpful to have the option where if that's happening and you decide, okay, like it- it's not tenable for us to have go back there, making these closeouts. We need to be more switchable. Like we need just a different look in our back pocket. Then I think having those options where they can downsize. I think the question then becomes like, w- what are they losing at the offensive end when they do that? Because, People don't really talk about it that much, but like Gobert is a huge part of what they do offensively. It's going to be like, if they are playing those lineups in the playoffs, it's going to be like a much different look. I think like they're going to be trying to go five out and it's maybe going to be a little bit less pick and roll oriented. And, and obviously defensively, like they're, they're losing that rim protecting element. And like, what does that ultimately do for them? Like there's going to be trade-offs no matter what, but I think, Scheme flexibility, lineup flexibility has just become so important. And I think the the Jazz needed to do something like this where they gave themselves those options.
0: Yeah, look, I like Pascal a lot, man. Um, Am I as high on him as, you know, Warriors fans were early in his career? No. But I think he's like a future star and things like that. No. But I think he's a good young player with some upside that at the price the Jazz traded for him, like a no-brainer. This is a good team that, especially with the question marks at the top of the West that we've talked about in previous episodes, once again has a chance to contend to be you know, one of, if not the best team in the West, should contend to get out of the West in the playoffs if they stay healthy. And teams at that level, in the cap situation that the Jazz are in, because they are at that level, don't usually get the opportunity to acquire uh young upside like this. They just don't. And especially not at this... Pittance of a price that they acquired him for, so I, I thought that was a no brainer. Yeah, I, I think the Pascal move for the reasons you mentioned as well. Just it gives them the option to play smaller when necessary, um, even if it's not necessary that often, but it will be at some point, and and the option is nice. And and yeah, I just like a, like a good veteran team with few other areas, you know, or like assets or whatever to improve. Being able to land a young guy with some upside, no matter where you think that upside lands, I always think that's just like a really good low risk high reward potential for a team that otherwise doesn't really have avenues to improve so i a plus for me on the jazz getting pascal what's up pound the rock listeners just a friendly reminder to rate review and subscribe to the show on itunes soundcloud stitcher spotify or wherever else you get your podcasts you can also check out the scores fantasy football podcast with justin boone and in case you haven't already download the score app available on iphone and android that's where you can find all of our feature content, as well as live scores, updates, and breaking news. And don't forget to check out The Score's YouTube page for an informative, yet light-hearted dive into the sports world's trending topics. Now back to the show. Alright, with Pascal out of the way, I'd say my last one probably, and I know, you know, look, he, he got laughed at, well, he's been laughed at many times in his career, and he was laughed at again when he was included on the uh, U.S. Olympic team as a last-minute call-up, but I like Phoenix signing JaVale McGee, man. One year, 5 million. I think McGee has not just turned his career around since like he he landed with the Warriors and won a title or two with them, but I think he, like he's, he's legitimately not just changed his reputation, but actually improved and matured as a player itself, like on the court and has really settled to me nicely into a role as a reserve center in the league who can, you know, give you a certain amount of minutes. Um, And that's the reason I actually really liked at the time, the nuggets landing him last year at the deadline. I thought that was part of a really good deadline for the nuggets because I thought, you know, the backup five minutes behind Jokic, however many they needed in the playoffs, maybe it's only five to 10, but I I thought he had the um, ability to shore some of those up. And I think the same thing in Phoenix. Look, I think the Suns obviously have eight and starting. I think they found a lot of success last season going small off the bench. And I still think those are probably their best looks, you know, those smaller reserve units. But with the Saric injury and um, kind of what was left of that roster by the end of the season, you know, we talked about it even in the Bucks series that they ended up they ended up in a series against a team that starts Brooke Lopez and is led by the modern incarnation of Shaq in the paint and having to play that team uh, for some minutes with like Frank Komitsky at the five. Or, you know, was it Abdel Nader for like three minutes at one point had to, like, JaVale McGee's at one year, five million at this stage of his career. It's very low risk. You know, he's not coming in to take on a big role. I think a team at Phoenix's level, adding a guy that can shore up minutes where they were very weak last season. Again, even if maybe in the playoffs, that means five minutes. Those minutes will matter. And I think McGee just being able to kind of be this like veteran big body in there. For the minutes, Aiton's not out there, and for the minutes where maybe their small ball reserve unit isn't the look to go to, I think that's a solid pickup. Yeah, I think it's fine. I I
1: still think they're really going to miss Sarge next season. They will for like, sure. He he. I just like I liked ha- them having him coming off of the bench because it was a real change of pace from Aiton. Obviously, I think like Aiton's much better, but he gave them just a different kind of look, right? Where he gives them some stretch on offense. Like he was, a, I think, a better playmaker. Um, gives them a bit of a different defensive look, so I, I think you know with McGee, it's like a little bit more one note, where he's just like your classic sort of screen and dive guy. Who his rim protection can definitely be valuable, uh, his rim running can be valuable, but I just think it's like, I don't know, he's not giving you the same kind of flexibility, I guess, that they were getting with Sarge, which is fine. I mean, I don't know that they necessarily had any kind of way to replace that anyway, exactly. So. I think getting McGee was fine. Uh, I also really like them, I mean, f- from their end, re-signing campaign for three years, $19 Yes. Yeah, love that for the Suns. Don't love it for campaign. I honestly feel like he was kind of like selling himself short uh, with that deal, but he obviously wanted to stay. Uh, it's been a great situation for him. It's the team that helped revive his career. And I'm sure, you know, before he latched on with the Suns going into the bubble last year, he he probably didn't expect to sign this kind of deal in the NBA again. Uh, like he had one foot out of the league, so um, you know I'm hopeful that he continues to kill it as, frankly, one of the best backup PGs in the league, and then you know hopefully he can cash out again three years from now. But that's a very team friendly deal, and locking in like a high end backup point guard at that price point is definitely a big win I think for Phoenix.
0: Yeah, I will say because I agree with you, but I will say that I don't think I don't think Payne was necessarily getting more than that. Not because I don't think his play mm-hmm. deserved recognition after last season i just think it's always hard for a guy a guy with his kind of story where it's like you flame out of the league you come back you have one good year and well the butt plus the bubble like I, I don't know how many teams outside of the team he did it with in phoenix would have bought into it as like him being this like long-term like major salary guy and so i mean i'm looking at like tj mcconnell
1: got four years 35 million Alex caruso got four years 37 like Yeah, there's an element of like, can we trust it after one season? But after seeing him do it against elite competition in the playoffs, I agree. especially when, you know, in some of those situations, he was he was basically playing starters minutes because Chris Paul was out. I don't know. I feel like he had proved enough to, to do better than he did. But
0: I'm not saying I wouldn't have given him more or like hoped he could, but I'm just not convinced other teams would have. Um, Yeah, I mean,
1: I I can't speak with any authority on what his market actually was. I think if he'd really wanted to like explore his market uh, as opposed to just like wanting to go back to Phoenix for, you know, whatever the maximum amount that they were willing to pay him, then I think he could have done better. But again, like situation matters, his comfort matters. And like he's obviously comfortable and happy in Phoenix. So with the fellas, with the fellas. So you know, if that's what he wanted, then I'm happy for him. And I'm really happy for the Suns because I think that's a great deal for them. Very much under the radar. And one of those moves that is just destined to get clowned because when your star player comes out and says, you know, I need my team to start acting with more urgency and essentially says the team is in championship caliber and coming right up to the edge of giving the team an ultimatum and saying, you know, get me another star or I'm out of here." Signing Cody Zeller is going to seem underwhelming, but Cody Zeller is really good. And maybe it's not the number one thing the Blazers needed, but up there on their list of priorities had to be shoring up the front court behind Yusuf Nurkic. Like they just had nothing behind him. They got destroyed when he was on the bench last year. Cantor was not the answer. And, In Zeller, they get a guy who's like a very solid positional defender, a guy who can be a connector on offense, who can make passes on the short roll, who can operate as, you know, a little bit of a hub around the elbow, a phenomenal screen setter, just a smart player who I think is going to fit in there really nicely if he can stay healthy, which I think is, you know, that's that's the big question mark. And that's the reason the Blazers, I think, were able to get him on a one-year minimum deal. But... If he's staying healthy, I think he's really going to help them and addresses a clear area of need. Like they just, th- their bench was a disaster last year, and I think especially defensively and especially in the front court, they just needed, they needed help. Uh, and I think he gives it to them. Like I, it's yes, it seems like an underwhelming move, but like the Blazers don't have a lot of options. Like it, it was, it they, have was no, never, they have none, man. It was never going to be realistic. They were just going to be able to do what Dame wanted them to do you know, even if they were willing to trade CJ McCollum, which is, it's unclear if they're actually willing to do. I'm not sure that they could have traded CJ McCollum and got a player that's better than CJ McCollum. So I think that sort of just left them with no alternative, but to just like make these marginal upgrades and hope that they could amount to something greater. Uh, And this is the kind of move that I think has the potential to actually do that, right? Like just shore up the bench, shore up the front court defense, And, you know, when you're a team that has a player like Damian Lillard uh, and has like, uh, you know, an otherwise fairly solid infrastructure in place, like obviously the defense has been a disaster, but Mello's gone. Cantor's gone. They still have Covington there, who's an excellent defender. Like Nurkic is still above average, I think, for his position defensively. They have the pieces, I think, to make it work. I think in that situation, like a small move like this can pay big dividends, even if it seems like it's not going to move the
0: needle all that much. As I've uh, said on this show a few weeks ago and also in one of our latest episodes of Unfiltered on the Scores YouTube channel, the Blazers, their second biggest contract after Dame is CJ, who I agree with you. I don't think they can trade CJ and get someone back better than CJ because, again, for as good as CJ is, not many teams are lining up to take on a guy who's got three years and $100 million left on his deal as a one-way guard on now the wrong side of 30 who's never made an all-star team like that's just not the type of contract you usually think of moving and then getting back a super like a star at all in return you know so like that's their second biggest contract and their biggest say trade ship their best young player as we were saying a couple weeks ago you know it's either like anthony simons or zach collins like who's gone right who's now gone Draft pick wise, like they don't have great draft cap, like there is no avenue here for this team to add us to add an impact player or get a lot better. And like, as I said, then I'll say it again. Now, I think Dame is smart enough to know that. So when he's like talking about them acting with urgency, like I feel like deep down, he knows there isn't actually anything urgent they can do. But to your point yeah, about Cody's it's out with, almost like
1: he's he's just like creating the permission structure for him to eventually ask out.
0: Exactly. Exactly. But to your point, um, and, I, and I had added him uh, when we you know, wrote about day one free agency last week, like, yeah, like if Zeller can ever stay healthy, he's a solid physical big who can score inside, pass, rebound and sets good screens. Like a minimum level gamble on a veteran big like that is good business. But the if he can stay healthy is obviously the big caveat. The guy has not cracked the 60 game mark in five years. And in three of the past four years, hasn't even cracked the 50 game mark. In two of those years, hasn't even cracked the 40 game mark. Like whether he is available for even half the season is up in the air based on his history.
1: Yeah, that's going to be like, that's going to be the thing that I think that determines whether this move actually works out or not. But again, it's a one year minimum, super low risk. Uh, And for a Blazers team that just didn't have a ton of alternatives, I think it's it's definitely a win and, and something that could really help them. And I'm, do the Blazers still have the taxpayer mid-level to use? That's a good question.
0: Who yeah. would they use it on anyway?
1: I don't know. Uh, maybe like maybe Paul Millsap. Honestly, like uh,
0: yeah, fair enough.
1: He, that, fair enough. he'd be a perfect fit there. Somebody like that, you know. I don't yeah. like. I'd have to look at a list of like who's still available. But yeah,
0: JJ Redick hasn't signed yet. Eh? I noticed that.
1: Yeah, I don't think that's really like the kind of player that the Blazers need. No, but... no, I don't
0: mean for Portland. I mean in general. I saw that and was a bit surprised. Not because I think he's that much of an impact player anymore, but it's still JJ. He can still, you know, shoot. And mm-hmm. I find it weird that like, you know, even one of those contenders didn't just like throw him a minimum by Yeah, now. like the Lakers. Or it's possible they did, and he's just waiting to see if he can get a little more than that. Yeah, he just seems like tailor-made for the Lakers at this point, no? Yeah, yeah. But that's what I'm saying. Even that, like, I'm surprised that's just not done already, you know? or. Mm-hmm. He didn't end up in like Brooklyn or something on a minimum. Like, I don't know. It's just, it's weird to me that he, JJ Reddick, is still out there unsigned as a UFA. Maybe he is just holding out hope for Brooklyn, honestly, because
1: he, he did talk last season about that's like he wanted to be there. He wanted to be close to his kids. So we'll see how that shakes out. But yeah, I don't, again, I can't remember or like I don't have it in front of me Mm -hmm. now, like whether the Blazers still have that taxpayer MLE available to them. But, if they do and they can kind of like add another piece then i think that zeller deal like getting him for the minimum will just look that much better right because they didn't have to dip into the mle to get him uh and i definitely think like he's the caliber of player who could have commanded like a taxpayer Mm -hmm. mle type of deal so that looks like one that could uh that could work out pretty well for them you got any others
0: i don't i'm out i'm out of the uh, under the radar moves you um.
1: Yeah. I had, like Bobby Portis uh, going back to the Bucks for two years, nine million. Another one where I'm like, feels like the player maybe selling himself short. Oh, he definitely yeah. sold himself short. Um, my kind of only logical explanation for that is I, I think Portis must have just been dead set on staying in Milwaukee, but the Bucks didn't have his bird rights, and so basically this is the most that they could offer him, and he does get a player option on year two. So what that will allow him to do is opt out uh, and then re-sign with the Bucks for more money and more term next year because they will have his early bird rights, not his full bird rights, but uh, they'll have his early bird rights next offseason. So I think he just ultimately wants to stay in Milwaukee long term and is going to use this as a springboard to a bigger deal with the Bucks next offseason. But like just coming off the postseason that he had, uh, it really seemed like like this was going to be his big opportunity to cash out and I don't know. I mean, like, is he is his market going to be the same next off season as it was this off season? Maybe not. But if he if he is only interested in staying in Milwaukee, then I, I still think that this could work out for him. But looking at it now, it's more so just a coup for the Bucks. Like, they get a, a big time contributor off of the bench for you know four and a half million dollars, especially for a cap team like them that really needs to fill out the roster with like affordable players who can play like that's that's
0: huge yeah this is one of those ones where it's like he showed himself short but it's because he yeah he wanted to stay where he was where he found a lot of on-court success and because mm-hmm. of you know the weird kind of cba bird right quirks staying where he was meant this was what was available to him but like you said i think he has anywhere near as the type of success he had in milwaukee last season and a year from now he'll get a much bigger deal than this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then like the Bucks also brought
1: George Hill back, which George Hill slipped last season, but it was just like a big upgrade over Jeff Teague as a backup point yes. guard. So yes. um, that's all they really need to do. And obviously, like there's a ton of familiarity there between them and George Hill. So I think that could work out well. Also, uh,
0: the one thing I will add before we get to our official fan shout out is... Um an early fan shout out of the week, which is then going to be followed by just a standard fan shout out. But um, I did want to shout out uh, Tim at T underscore Y 31 on Twitter from Toronto, uh, supporter of our show, fan of the show who last week uh, I had tweeted. So Eric Kareen, a uh, Toronto based NBA reporter, Raptors beat writer had tweeted Um, last week about how Ben Simmons and the Sixers both seem to have an awful lot of demands because of reports coming out of both, you know, what the Sixers were setting his ridiculous price at and Mm -hmm. also some reported demands Ben Simmons had. And well, if he gets traded, here's where he's hoping to go and, you know, acting like he has any leverage whatsoever here. And so Eric Green tweeted that and I quote tweeted it and said, well, fools often think everyone else is as foolish as them. And in this case, I am insinuating that both Ben Simmons and the Sixers are fools. Mm And Tim replied to me saying he is just casually drooling for a segment clowning him on the next Pound the Rock. Well, Tim, we're a little late in the show, so I don't know how it's not going to be a three-minute rant here. But I did say ask and you shall receive. <laughs> so I did want to go out of my way to say that uh, Ben Simmons, though this is probably a month too late because it should have been after the playoffs, I'll name him Clown of the Week just for you, Tim, because our fans get what they want. They get what they deserve. And at this point, if Ben Simmons gets what he deserves, he'll be playing basketball in Sacramento or something for the next five years because, you know, I, I talked after the playoffs about how um, for as frustrating and maddening as Ben Simmons is, he's you know, he still has his value. And, you know, I talked about the, how this, this would become like the NBA's merry-go-round this summer and it, this never-ending saga that, because the Sixers need to trade him but also don't want to trade him at his lowest value And other teams see the upside, but don't want to give up too much for a guy whose value is at its lowest. And so it's just just like round and round we go, -go merry-go-round that might actually end up with him back on the Sixers, despite the fact the merry-go-round begins with them needing to trade him and not being able to bring him back to start the season. So I do think through all of that, his actual talent and skill has been underrated. But I'm also just so sick of, like, everything related to the Ben Simmons saga. I'm sick of, as we're seeing again this summer, the social media clips of him shooting threes in an empty gym with no one guarding him and people thinking, like, oh, Ben Simmons is putting in the work. Watch out. I mean, no. Let no me, who's actually saying that, though? Who p- thinks p- that? P- just, like, p- you know, clowns. Probably, like, Sixers fans and, and people of that nature. No, I, I think know. Sixers fans actually,
1: if ever Anybody is not buying that at six or maybe they're
0: trying to his pump fans. his value. Maybe they're <laughs> pump his value, right? But um, I just even just seeing it is just like I don't even want to see it. I know it's not even him that's necessarily posting it. or It's his agents. It's his reps. It's the guy he's training with or whatever. But it's like Twitter should ban images of Ben Simmons shooting in an empty gym in the summer until he's no longer a coward in the fourth quarter of a of an NBA game in, or in the playoffs. Then I, I think Twitter should legitimately ban visual evidence of ben simmons shooting in empty gyms in the summer um the whole the i just like i'm not even like i'm not even annoyed like i usually am when i go on these rants i'm just like i'm just like so done with it like man i just don't want to like see anything related to ben simmons shooting anymore like we know he can't he probably never will all not just one reporter here and there multiple reports over the years including only a couple months ago have come out that his work ethic is not great uh including the fact that like Even when it came to him working on his free throws, he would like joke around in practice at the line and stuff when other people were trying to get him to be serious. Like, I just don't want to hear anymore. I don't know Ben Simmons as a person. Maybe he's a good guy. In terms of as a professional basketball player and what is expected of him at his value, he's really teetering on just full-blown clown uh, status. And uh, (laughs) that's where we are, man. That's that's where we
1: are. I'll just say, like you know, for for me, it's like at this point, I don't, I don't need to see Ben Simmons shooting threes. You know what I mean? No, I don't either. What I want to see Ben Simmons doing is embracing contact, finishing at the rim, like showing an aggressive mentality when it comes to attacking, not passing up a layup, hitting his free throws, uh, all the stuff where he's taking the skill set that he has and maximizing it rather than you know, trying to expand it in what I think is probably going to ultimately be a futile attempt, you know, to to add a functional three-pointer to his game. I think he should be focusing on on trying to maximize everything that he has outside of that three-point shot. Like, it, I just don't... I don't see a situation in which the three is ever a big part of his game, but I think he could still be extremely effective without it. And, and I think those are the aspects of his game that he needs to be working on. I will say, you know, you mentioned Sacramento and how you know, if you had your druthers, that's where Ben Simmons would end up. Hey man, me too. Like if the Kings could somehow get him, which certainly doesn't seem realistic based on what the Sixers asking price for him is right now. But if the Sixers could somehow get him without giving up De'Aaron Fox, Ooh, man. Well, that, but I think that's a the thing.
0: They'd have to give up De'Aaron Fox. Like, I which think... they're never going to do. But I'm just saying. You, if... you don't think Sacramento would give up De'Aaron Fox for Ben Simmons? Hell no. Yeah. I, I, I wouldn't. I'm just, you know, Sacramento is Sacramento. No, they won't. Would you give up Darren Fox for Ben Simmons? No,
1: absolutely me not. Me neither. I'm just saying, like, if they could somehow get Ben Simmons, you know, what package centered down centered around like I don't know, Buddy Healed and
0: Tyrese Halliburton. Yeah, Sixers aren't doing that.
1: I, I how much
0: better than that are they gonna do? Again, look, man, we we've had this discussion. It's not me, it's not me saying they can get do better than that or they will. It's me saying this look, there's a reason I said fools often think everyone else in the room is as foolish as them. I don't like on the whole, do I think Daryl Morey's is a fool? Of course not. Like, I'm not, but from just the way this saga is playing out, I'm calling it down the middle. I'm saying both the Sixers and Simmons are both coming off like, fools okay, like that's them. fine.
1: I'm not even trying to construct a realistic scenario here. All I'm saying is like, people are throwing out Sacramento is like, Oh, send him to Sacramento. Like, He'd be awesome in Sacramento. Him and Fox together in Sacramento would be incredible. Right. That, that would like instantly become what, like maybe my favorite team to watch in right. the league. I, I adore De'Aaron Fox, and I think his game and Simmons' game would mesh so nicely. So now I'm almost like I've like talked myself into this this theory, and like now I'm obsessed with trying to make it happen somehow. Like healed Halliburton and a first round pick or something like that. Let's get right. it done.
0: When I say send to Sacramento, I'm saying I'm envisioning it with like Fox coming back the other way. The Kings are not, get, they're just not doing that. Well, yeah, and it's just, Simmons will be back in Philly next year and uh, I'm sure it will give us plenty of ammo and topics to discuss on the 2021-2022 version of Pound the Rock.
1: Um, all right, that that feels like enough on Simmons. What, yeah. where, where's our real fan shout out at?
0: All right, real fan shout out this week. It's just someone that uh, does actually interact with us a lot on Twitter and often with the podcast. And uh, last week, when we posted late in the week our like off season um, kind of roundup podcast, he did reply saying that he had been waiting. I believe with an exclamation mark, been waiting for this exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark, and that is at the real King Z on Twitter. Don't want to butcher his name, but I believe it is. So, Will Athene again, I, I might have butchered that. He did put in brackets on Twitter, Z, so perhaps let's just call him Z. Um, but at the real King Z on Twitter, said he'd been waiting for our pod, interacts with us a lot, and interacts with the show a lot from Calgary, Alberta. Uh, not sure how long he's been a fan, but definitely from my memory, he feels like he's been interacting with us for a long time. So, I did finally want to get him a shout-out on here. And again, shout-out Tim as well. I know it wasn't the usual rant, but uh, I hope... Um, as I saw Wolf Fawn burying his face in his palms while I <laughs> resorted to calling Ben Simmons a clown. I hope that Tim was somewhere celebrating that. So unless Wolf Fawn has anything else. I got nothing. Then I will call it a show for the week. And uh, we've both got some time off coming up, but we will try to keep these as regular as possible. I, I, you know, I, I don't think it's a... Uh, I'm venturing out there to say... It probably won't be as regular for the next few weeks, just as things have died down and we're both taking some time off. But like I said, we will try to keep um, the shows as close to weekly as possible for the remainder of the summer. And, you know, maybe we'll have things where like, if I'm not here, Wolfon will be on with a guest. Or if he's not here, I'll be on with a guest. And, you know, when when we can line it up, we'll make sure we're both here together. But uh, we will, at various points in the summer, be checking in. If something does happen, even if we're off, we will make sure we have a pod for that. If something big happens, if Ben Simmons does get traded, for example, uh, we will definitely have a pod related to that. Other than that, you know, we'll be here and there throughout the summer. And uh, we hope you enjoy whatever future episodes are to come. For Joe Wolf I'm Joseph Cacharo. Pound the Rock.